0: Podcast 15. We are special breakfast people here at Pansy Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw wild grain,
1: Welcome to Pantsuit Politics, where a woman from the
0: right and a woman from the left accessorize the news with a fresh perspective. This is Sarah Holland from the left.
1: And Beth Silvers from the right.
0: Welcome to our special Friday episode, The Briefcase, uh, where we try to send you into the weekend with what you need to know about one or two trending stories. We also share Friday feedback and try to address any questions or concerns we get from you, our fabulous listeners.
1: So as always, we're asking everyone to sign up for our new emails so that you can get every episode delivered directly to your inbox, as well as show notes. And we're planning to add some unique content there in the coming weeks. Um, Our interview with Unchained Jane is up right now on their website. Unchained Jane is a really fun blog, um, as they describe themselves for badass women. And we were (laughs) excited to be interviewed with them. So uh, part one is up. I think part two will come out this weekend. So we'd love for you to check it out. And also don't forget to check out The Selfie Vote by Kristen Soltis Anderson. Kristen is going to be our guest for Tuesday's podcast. We're so excited to talk with her. It's a great book, a really quick and fun read. Um, So we hope you'll have time to at least preview it before you listen next week.
0: I'm really excited about our first interview with her. I am too. So now in the Friday feedback, um, as we just said, we try to take seriously all the great information you guys send us, feedbacks about everything from our sound quality to our discussions. And we actually received a really fabulous email from Jay Tomlinson, about our political correct episode and it was so on point we've decided to read a part of it. He sort of went into political correctness and that there are a few problems he thinks come up over and over again with regards to this subject. And the part that I really love that he said is and I'm gonna read directly from his email the second problem is how we talk about this issue is that very that people very often, if not entirely, think that the primary issue we're dealing with is people's feelings. Nearly all of these discussions, including on the latest episode of this podcast, focus on whether and how people are offended. If I could stress one point it would be that political correctness or the underlying concept that needs a better name is important, not because we need to save the feelings of people, but because unchecked political correctness leads to real world harms and consequences that are far more impactful than
1: hurt feelings.
0: On point, Jay, you are on point.
1: Yeah, he gave some really great examples. And it, I just, it, it always, I just kind of get excited about the really substantive, feedback that we get from listeners and the conversations we have on Twitter and Facebook about these things. It just feels like a gift that we have all these people uh, willing to engage with us in this way, don't you think? It's like brick by brick restoring faith in humanity for me.
0: Absolutely. Well, and his, he's, he's just so, what he said is so true. And it's sort of what I was trying to get at when I heard that episode of NPR I was talking about or that whatever, I don't even remember what show it was, about Italy and that. You know, the it gets better and the issues for the gay and queer and transgendered community like this is life and death and feeling like you're included by the language people use really is much bigger than just hurt feelings. And I just again, thanks, Jay.
1: Thanks to all of you guys for all your great feedback. Well, we have to talk about the Flint water crisis today. (sighs) Um, So I'm just going to do kind of a quick recap of what's going on there. Um, two years ago, Flint, which is a city of about 100,000 people in Michigan, switched its water supply from Lake Huron. Um, it had been paying the city of Detroit for that water to the Flint River, and this was an effort to save money. It was supposed to be temporary while a new state water line was built that would provide Flint with water from Lake Huron at a, at a less expensive price point than what it was paying Detroit. Almost immediately, the water looked funny. It smelled funny. It had a strange taste. Um, and it turns out that the issue with the water was iron. The The water was from the Flint River is highly corrosive. And for some reason, it was not being treated with an anti-corrosive agent. So it was eroding the iron water mains. Ugh. Even worse than that, Flint has this very old archaic uh, system of water service lines that are made out of lead and since the water wasn't being treated and then it was being run through these lead service lines lead started creeping into the water supply the water was so corrosive that General Motors stopped using it in October 2014 because it was damaging parts in their engine plant
0: that's the part that really
1: got me I I mean, is it, is that not overwhelming to think about, but people are still supposed to be drinking it. So the issue with lead, which we've known for decades, it's not like this is a, wow, we had no idea, right? For Mm -hmm. decades, we have known that lead is a potent neurotoxin. It leads to lower IQs. It can impact behavior. It can cause permanent brain damage. And in terms of impacting behavior, it's been associated with increased rates of criminality in people. Yeah, I
0: did not, Vox, and we'll put a link to this in the show notes, Vox did a really great explanation of this. I actually saw on Snapchat, so I'm assuming I can get it somewhere, but I really did not understand. I knew, obviously, I'm a parent of three children, the lead testing, and you get that, and they tell you about all that stuff in your pediatrician's office. I really didn't understand the lifelong behavioral impact of lead exposure until I watched this
1: video. It's really crazy. Well, it's terrifying. And and so, so this is happening, but officials are pretty well blowing off people's complaints and concerns about the water. The mayor of Flint at the time drank a glass of the water on television to calm people Ugh. down. Um, and so this is just an example of failure after failure By all levels of local, state, and federal government. Um, The city did not use that anti-corrosive agent as required by federal law. They did not do lead level testing in the water. Um, The Michigan Department of Environmental Quality ignored concerns. The EPA ignored concerns. The Michigan Health and Human Services Department had a report showing higher levels of lead in children's blood. Didn't do anything about it governor's office saw some of these reports expressed concerns um but didn't push the department of environmental quality to solve the problem so finally um a a children's doctor in Flint started documenting what she was seeing and it was really her work that led to people understanding what was going on. There's a class action lawsuit that's been filed now. A state of emergency has been declared. So Flint has switched back to the Detroit water supply, but the water service lines have been corroded to the point that it's still not safe. So literally people are like drinking bottled water here in America in 2016 They cannot trust their water supply in Flint, Michigan. And what absolutely blew my mind when I was reading about this is that 90% of the problems resulting from this water could have been prevented by spending $100 a day on an anti-corrosive agent for the water.
0: Oh, my God. It's just, you know, this isn't the first time that, you know, Americans are in this situation. Remember, it happened in, I don't remember if it was Virginia or West Virginia, and there, the river was polluted. Do you remember that? It was yes. like maybe two or three years ago. And you know, there's a lot of people that are around frackings also have a lot of times concerns about their water. Have anybody seen the fracking documentary where the guy lights his tap water on fire. It's just something we all take for granted until it's polluted. And you're having to think about what am I feeding to my children? What am I bathing in? What am I drinking myself? It's just so disturbing. And there's so many issues, I think, with regards to Flint. You know, I always think about Michael Moore when I think about Flint. And it's this, you know, sort of, I don't want to say failing, but shrinking American City. And it's, you know, had all these all these concerns and challenges. And I think there's some real issues of race and there are real issues of poverty with regards to people's concerns not being taken seriously. And I said this on Twitter because Hillary Clinton was the only person to bring this up in the democratic debate and just was recently endorsed by the Flint mayor. You want to see Hillary Clinton go mama bear, mess with kids. Cause you know, that's her sort of long time experience. And don't, I mean, don't we all feel like that? Like these are kids that are going to have permanent lifelong issues because of this lead exposure
1: I think that it's really important, too, that this issue not be politicized. Um, I saw a link to an article, and I think it was New York Magazine, but I, I'm i not positive, that said something like, you know, Republicans ignore a city in crisis. Mm. Look, there are people from all parties responsible for this mess. and mm-hmm. This is not a partisan... This is our water. This is not yeah. a partisan issue. This is about... Making our government work better, as you said, probably some real systemic failures. Um, it's just, it's just wrong and awful and something that needs to be fixed. And the really sad thing to me is you you can't fix what's happened to these kids, and yeah. and probably lots of adults as well. Not that you know I don't want to pretend like adult lives don't matter too. <laughs> um, and then think about just psychologically, if you can't trust the water that you're drinking, yeah. I mean. W- I just don't know what kind of long-term effect that has on kind of your sense of the world.
0: Well, and there's just all these crazy impact of lead exposure. Like there's all these theories about sort of the drop in the crime rate was due to increased education and decreased exposure about lead. That's crazy. That's crazy. So let's think about the impact of not only directly on these children – but let's think about these kids who grow up and do have increased criminality and that impact and the people they're going to run into, you know, like this isn't just about the people that are exposed. This goes so big and it, you think it's just Flint. It doesn't ex- expose me. It doesn't have anything to do with me, but it does.
1: It definitely could,
0: you know, so I, I definitely not helping people's trust of the government and the understatement of the year.
1: Well, the Republican governor of Michigan, Rick Snyder, has has faced a number of calls for his resignation in light of this crisis. He has said publicly that he does not intend to resign, that he wants to fix this problem. And I I admire that. You know, I guess we'll learn more about what level of accountability he has. I mean, ultimately, you're the governor. The buck stops with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um but I also appreciate the instinct to solve the problem. Um, yeah. He did an extensive interview with Ron Fournier of the um, National Journal. So we're going to link that up in the show notes as well because um, they they share just the transcript of the interview. And I think it's 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 pretty enlightening.
0: Well, I guess my problem with that, though, is if it's – so much of this is going to be about a trust issue. And if people don't trust you – you know, no matter what level of responsibility you hold, if there's a sense of we can't trust you, it's just going to be hard, I think, to get people on board to fix it. I feel like you need somebody, lead- if you're going to lead your way out of this mess, you need somebody that people have a trust for. So, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't live in Flint. I don't know the, the how they feel about the governor's culpability and the whole thing, but I, I worry that when, you know, as much as I admire the idea that this is my mess and I need to clean it up, um... With it, with exposure this large, and like I said, a lack of trust this systemic, I don't know if that's really going to work.
1: Well, I I also have no. I, I'm completely neutral on the issue of Rick Snyder. Right, I, I don't. I'm not for him or against him. Um, I think it's a lot in the handling of situations like mm-hmm. this. So this is what I think about Rahm Emanuel as well. Who I also I'm not pro or con <laughs> Rahm Emanuel, and and I think both Rick Snyder and Rahm Emanuel did not create. The issues that they are faced with right now. Right. Well, so, I think
0: they're as a since I'm can arguably be you know I'm on Rahm Emanuel's quote unquote political side. I think there's increasing evidence he didn't create it, but he sure as heck was trying to cover it up and not fix it. But well, anyway, well, go so ahead.
1: that's the thing. It's so so when you're an executive like this and you did not create the problem, but you are nonetheless accountable for it. I think how you respond to it. If, if you're going to have people's trust in fixing the problem, it's so much about transparency. That's
0: exactly what I was going to say. Put
1: it all out there. Who knew what, when, what did they do about it, and what is your plan, and how are you going to personally see that plan through to execution?
0: Mm-hmm. Because the second you're not transparent, then what you're saying is, my number one priority is protecting myself and not you.
1: That's right. Do you want to stay in office to fix the problem, or do you want to stay mm-hmm. in office to stay in office?
0: Right. And so when you, the second you try to hide something or cover it up, then that's, then then the message you're sending is I don't want to fix this. I want to protect myself. And I think that's Rahm Emanuel's really big problem in Chicago right now. I can't, but I don't believe you when you say I want to fix this. If you spent so much time trying to keep me from finding out about it. So, you know, if you, if you say, if you're transparent about something and, In the course of events, what happens is, you know, you lose your job because people are so outraged by the event they want to hold somebody, anybody accountable. Well, then that's what you signed up for when you ran for public office. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I just feel like I'm not saying that it's always fair and that you're 100% 100 transparent and then you're held responsible for something you didn't create. Yeah, the chips fall. But isn't that better than your legacy being trying to hide something?
1: I don't know. Well, I think all of this gets to uh, – we got a really interesting email from a listener, Rachel, last night about sort of what are politicians motivated by and mm-hmm. um, whether people are more interested in holding office than actually serving in office. And it, it gave us a lot of good stuff to think about for future shows. But I think it speaks to this issue as well, which is if, especially in an executive position. I mean, these are not legislators, right? They're not mm-hmm. – these aren't representatives. They are executives. And – you, you you do the job to the best of your ability. And and when it no longer serves the people, you don't do the job anymore. It just can't be about you, especially when it yeah. comes to things that are matters of public safety, which is what both these guys are facing.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think people sniff it out. You're not going to fake your way out of that. No. If your concern is not people, if your concern is not, if you're not putting, you know, this is why people like Cory Booker are so well received. Because I feel like he just, he you can feel it. You feel that he cares, and that's his number one priority. Is he perfect? No. But you feel the idea that, like, I'm here because I believe in this town or I believe in this state. You know, and that's it, you can't fake that. You really, really can't. And I think that's what people respond to in politicians so often is they feel it. It's not because they're uneducated or they're ignorant. It's because we have a decent emotional radar
1: for, you know, fakeness. So I think our age group, if we are to take something from this, it's as we come up in sort of leadership positions in our communities and states and nation, um, any of us considering a run at public office or working in government, I think should be just keenly focused in on transparency. Mm -hmm. How can we be a generation that brings complete sunlight to these processes And that's at every level. It's in the executive branches, administrative agencies, also in the legislative process, you know, things like making sure legislation is readable, making sure Mm -hmm. people know what's in it before a vote happens on it. I mean, I think that we have to be as a generation focused on changing the game to meet the expectations of the people who hold the values that we hold.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I I couldn't agree more.
1: If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon-priced manicure, Olive & June has you covered. We've talked about Olive & June's mani system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box. Salon-grade tools. Your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are going to last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive & June also has press-ons if you want Just finished A Court of
0: Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters, Discover stories about second-chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, dot com slash pansy, and it's that's also a little um, sneak peek at some of the things Kirsten, Kirsten is it Kirsten or Kristen? Kristen, Kristen talks about in her books so Yes, it's very important. All right, so the other issue we wanted to talk about real quickly today was old Bernie, old <laughs> Bernie, at it again. So he was um, being interviewed by Rachel Maddow, and she asked about um, Rao and Planned Parenthood and the human rights campaign endorsing Hillary Clinton. And he basically said that these groups were the political establishment and he's taking on the political establishment. Okay. Maybe, <laughs> may, just maybe, um, less than six months after Planned Parenthood was attacked by a terrorist and is constantly fighting to keep themselves funded by the government, is not the best time to paint them as part of the political establishment. We're just going to put that out there.
1: I think this is just fascinating. (laughs) Because I completely understand your point. I also understand this frustration with the DNC and feeling like there is a little bit of an establishment in the Democratic Party, and then saying, well, I'm just going to seize on what seems to be working on the Republican side over here.
0: Yeah. I mean, but NARAL and Planned Parenthood and the Human Rights Campaign are not necessarily the DNC. Now, I'm not naive. I understand. I mean, Planned Parenthood is run by Cecil Richards, whose mother stood up at at Bill Clinton's convention and gave that great famous speech about George Bush. So it's not like they don't know each other, right? But I'm pretty, you know, I also don't think it's fair to paint these people as just falling in line because she's Hillary Clinton. I mean, she has a long, long history with these organizations. And Planned Parenthood did this really great post that we'll link to it that says, like, look, we're not going to, we're going to tell you the truth. Both Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton have 100% rating with Planned Parenthood. Like, that's not the issue for us, right? But their argument was basically like, look, this isn't just about how you voted. This is about we're under attack. We're facing some of the biggest reproductive challenges in a generation. And we we don't want somebody who just supports us. We want somebody who champions our cause. And Hillary Clinton is that person. It was well thought out. It wasn't just, you know, Hillary's for Hillary's sake. I I didn't feel like that to me. And, you know, you pointed out this really great... um, Column from Jamil Smith on The New Republic that I think is perfect on this. He says, The trap Sanders falls into here is the common one that has plagued him throughout this campaign. Faced with a question he either isn't prepared for or seeks to dodge, he defaults to his core anti-establishment message. It works when he's railing against Wall Street or, to a lesser extent, structural racism. It fails particularly when he's labeling the embattled Planned Parenthood, the target of a terrorist attack two months ago, as part of the political establishment because it's not backing his candidacy. You know, I, I feel like they throw such major shade every time somebody questions them they have this very especially the people who work for him have this how dare you question us how dare you not support us you know Ta-Nehisi Coates wrote this really great piece about Bernie Sanders because Bernie had been asked about reparations which Ta-Nehisi Coates wrote a really great case for reparations for the Atlantic and he was basically like well it's never going to happen it's not – he was, like, turned all pragmatist. Like, well, it's never going to happen. Why would we even talk about it? And Ton nehisi was like, yeah, but neither is none, any of the other things you advocate. Like, it's not like you're going to roll in and pass single-payer health care. Like, that's not pra- – you know, that's never going to happen either. But you don't have any problem ex- supporting that, which I thought was really interesting. Um, you know, and obviously I agree with everything Ton nehisi writes because I'm a little bit obsessed with him. But I think it's it plays to – the same thing that he does this. Like if you, if you're not with us, you're against us. And I don't really think that that's not, that's not nuanced. That's how I feel about it.
1: It's not nuanced. It is also not unique though. I mean, everybody Mm. running has a bit of that going on. What I think is most interesting about all of this is that I think all of the, I think this is kind of effective on Bernie's part in this particular cycle. And I think all of the people um, lining up to help Hillary Clinton, Hurt her a little bit. I, I I do think the fact that this is the first time Planned Parenthood has made an endorsement is in a in a primary is, is tricky for her. Um, I I think that the DNC has really, really harmed her mm-hmm. um, with the way it set up the debates at times when no humans other than us maybe are watching them. Um, the lim- <laughs> And our
0: great humans on Twitter. We have lots of fabulous humans. We do. I,
1: and thank you guys because it makes me feel less alone in the world. But, <laughs> you know, so, so the times of the debates, the limited number of debates, the fact that now that her poll numbers are dropping, suddenly we're going to have a couple more Democratic uh, town halls or whatever. It just looks so orchestrated around her. And if I were her, I think I'd be like, thanks, but no thanks friends, but just let me do this. You know, I, I, yeah, but be honest. Do
0: you you wish there was a little bit more of that on on your side? (laughs) A little bit, a a little bit of, Let's get an establishment candidate before we end up with Donald Trump.
1: Well, I think that's why we are where we are, though, because we've done too much of that. You know, I, yeah, I, well, again, it goes to the true. transparency component. The Republican Party. I wish that we could banish. I said this on Twitter, too. I wish we could banish the term establishment because it. I think establishment now is starting to mean um, reasonably willing to compromise on occasion. And it, yeah, it, so in that way, like label me establishment all day long. But I think that part of the reason that we have this outsider thing happening in both parties is it's just a rejection of our entire legislative process. It's a rejection of backroom deals. It's a rejection of, you know, this this idea of party bosses making decisions of Mm -hmm. uh, John Boehner and Mitch McConnell strong arming people. And and look, I don't I don't blame anybody. You, You make the point all the time. That's how this works. Mm -hmm. Okay, we need to change how it works. Now, sending in a bunch of people who don't know what they're doing does not seem to me to be the most effective way to change how this works. Uh, But I get where it's coming from. And and that's why I think this may have been a little bit smart on Sanders part, even though people who really pay attention to politics are understandably confused by it.
0: Well, I think that here's what I've here's what this is totally my own personal perception based on things I'm reading, things people are posting. Now, these are people on my Facebook feed, so this is a little... Well, I don't know. I feel like I have a pretty decent mix of uh, Hillary bots and Bernie bros. But when he... There was this, this narrative. He's gaining in the polls. Nobody's passionate for him. Bernie's surging. Sort of this is what I was feeling. And that's when I wrote my post that was like, I am passionate for Hillary Clinton, and I'm tired of being portrayed as not. And then I wrote the thing about how I felt like if... I, I was just going through this all over again with Obama, and if everything, you know, all the promise Obama was going to save us from the system and there wasn't going to be a revolving door would have made Bernie Sanders irrelevant, right? So as I was writing these, the sense I got was all this pushback. Jessica Valenti wrote this really great essay about it's totally okay to support Hillary Clinton because she's a woman. Um, another reader sent us this really great article um, we'll link to about you know, why I'm supporting Hillary Clinton. I felt, I felt this pushback. You got some of the endorsements started to roll in. People are rallying to her side because there was this narrative that he's going to, you know, kill her in Iowa and New Hampshire. And then I just felt like, again, instead of feeling like Bernie Sanders was like, okay, here's my answer to that. It was just this set. And even in the debate, I felt like he just is so one note and his campaign is so one note. It's like, ugh, well, you're part of the system. and, you're not even worth responding to. Like if, again, if you're not with us, you're against us. As opposed to, like, let's engage. Okay, so you're, I'm I'm speaking to something, you're speaking to something, let's have this conversation. It just, and I think that's my concern with Bernie Sanders overall. Like it's just, he's so one note. It's so binary. It's so, I think there's an important role for that, but I don't think it is as the candidate. And so I think you got this pushback From her, And instead of engaging and having a conversation, it just got, it got ugly. I feel like it just got a little ugly. He, his side is getting a little ugly anyway. So I don't know how negative it is for her. I feel like people are coming to her
1: defense and that's not a bad thing. Well, it's just who's coming to her defense. That's the issue. I feel like
0: people, I feel like it's, I, from my, from my angle, from my perception, I really do feel like it's this sort of, a lot of, people like me, like, just because I'm not harassing everyone on every comment board about how awesome Hillary Clinton is, like, I do feel like a little bit happens with, not my personal Bernie friends, just want to put that out there, <laughs> some of those people, like, you know, even when I wrote a long time ago about Hillary Clinton, I had this dude I did not know, had no idea who he was, and just got on there and just started bashing me for voting for her, and so... I don't know. I feel like there's a little bit of pushback from women in particular that are like, look, I support her. There's nothing wrong with that. I will not be shamed for supporting quote unquote Hillary Clinton and the establishment. Like I'm just not going to do that. So I don't think it's just quote like the DNC. I do feel like there's a pushback from her actual on the ground supporters.
1: Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. Everyone write and think and talk about how the Republican Party is just like hanging on to its identity by a thread when it's just as ugly and personal on the Democratic side. I think it might even be more personal in some instances, because I think a a lot of Republicans are have been in denial for a long time. You know, we've told ourselves, well, like, this will go away. (laughs) This isn't really like when people really vote, this is not going to happen. Um, And now that we're thinking, oh, this could happen, it's a it's a little bit more like, what are we going to do about this? And then we have this pile up of people who would be acceptable alternatives. And everyone's waiting for, I guess, those guys to get together and decide who's who's going to be the one who takes Trump on, you know, Trump Um, and Cruz.
0: I really like David Brooks, where he was like, okay, we have a and we have B and none of us like them. But we can't then choose between C, D, E, F and G. We need one seat we need
1: a C. <laughs> so, so you guys figure out who the C is. But on the Democratic side, maybe because you just have these two people and there's so much passion around these two people, it's just uh, the lesson to me is both parties are in trouble and are maybe we're going to eventually see sort of a post partisan world. I mean, it, the answer to me cannot be a third party I, that. That just sounds like more of the same to me. I think mm. I said to someone on Twitter, you know, that that sounds like, gosh, my kitchen's falling apart. I think I'll build a sunroom. Let me just keep adding to this structure that doesn't make any sense. Um, I, I don't know what it looks like in the future, but I do know that um, all of the current structures are under serious question right now. And maybe I, I hope that that does not have an unacceptable result for the next eight years (laughs) or four years um, in terms of our presidential leadership. But I think it could long term be a good message and maybe lead to some real change. And I think that requires, you know, this ties back to our conversation about Flint. I think that requires people of our generation to step up more and start uh, building what a transparent, open government really of and by the people looks for today.
0: Well, I mean, I think I would say, and my, my response would be, I don't think it's... I think the candidates themselves are not engaging in as personal and mean-spirited attacks on the Democratic side, if only because I think Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton are much careful, more seasoned politicians than Ted Cruz and, obviously, Donald Trump. Like, the Ted Cruz and, like, the whole the New York state of mind and insulting basically anyone who lives in New York City, like, that was just kind of mean. And, obviously, we know Bill... We also know that Donald Trump is a bully and can be very mean but I think that the reason it feels that way is because the supporters of Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders it is emotional and it feels very personal and you're a woman and you supported Hillary Clinton in 2008 and you're in the prospect of having to sit up there and watch her get pushed aside again it feels really personal I can say that with 100% sincerity. It feels emotional and it feels supportive. It feels very personal. And as Bernie Sanders supporters who feel like the system is on the line, and I think there's a lot of young people supporting him who feel like, you know, you know that feeling when you're in your 20s? And like, this is the shot. This is my generation's shot to do things right, to fix things. You know, it feels, feels big and it feels like there's a lot on the line. And so it feels really personal and emotional to them too. And I understand that as well. Um, just think about how it must have felt if you were the, if when you were in like Beth and I when you were beginning to your political awareness and you had to watch Al Gore and George Bush battle it out in the courts, FYI. Um, it's amazing. Any of us still like politics. So I just think that, that if the supporters have a little more emotion on the line, but I will say that I think Ted Cruz and Donald Trump are just meaner to each other. Generally,
1: yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think Ted Cruz is just in general not a nice person, and no. that and that Trump mm-hmm. is a showman. And when it serves him to bully also people, also not he a does. nice person.
0: I don't think he's a nice person either.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's not nice or not nice. I think he is whatever the moment, um, whatever opportunity the moment presents, he seizes it, right?
0: So, I meant to say this a few weeks ago. I was listening to a really great podcast called Call Your Girlfriend, and they don't call him Donald Trump, they call, they say, Ivanka's father. Which, I like Ivanka.
1: I no problem funny. saying
0: her name. So I thought, that's funny. Maybe I'll steal that. Maybe I'll just stop saying Donald and I'll just start saying,
1: Ivanka's father. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a good note to wrap up on. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> oh Well, thank you for joining us for this episode of the Friday Briefcase. Please continue to talk with us on Twitter. We're at PantsuitPolitik, no S. Uh, follow us on Facebook at Pantsuit Politics. And until next time, keep it nuanced, y'all.